Hello and welcome back. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We are downtown in studio today in Salem, Oregon. Salem is home to Groundwork, a leadership institute that we started here. And this podcast is a result of our efforts as an institute to gain as much knowledge as we can, uh, to share it, to document it, etc. So we want to learn from as many leaders as possible, many, as many minds uh, that we can so that we can better serve uh, the, the individuals in, in our organizations and our communities and ultimately our families. Uh, you know, becoming wise and gaining wisdom is a, is a lifelong uh, journey. I don't think there's ever a destination. And so we try to take that to heart and learn as much as we can. So we have a great episode today planned. And before we welcome the guest and our co-host, Salam Noor, I just want to give a brief intro to him. His name is Jim Farrell. Uh, now, he is uh, currently the founder and partner for the Withy uh, Leadership Center. And that was, you know, just recently formed. Jim, for many years, uh, was a managing and founding partner at the Arbinger Institute, which if you've been listening to our podcast, uh, you know that the Arbinger Institute and their ideas around outward mindset and seeing people is very important to us. So we reference them quite a bit. So it's it's truly a treat to have Jim here. Now, Jim is a, a personal friend of mine as well. I was able to, to work at the Arbinger Institute um, when he was... Sorry, obviously he was there, right? That's where I first met him, and a lot of great stories of interactions with him uh, in in ways that I learned, small and large, that I hope to share as we get into today's episode. Uh, but there's so much to say about Jim uh, and his background uh, and and the things that he's done. It's been it, it's incredible. He's he's an author of several books. Um, he's just an incredible intellect and and mind, uh, the way that he sees the world and the way that he sees uh, people and, and interactions and relationships and leadership. I mean, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. So it is um, a true treat and pleasure to have him on the show today. So uh, with that, and you know, there's again, there's plenty more that I can say, but you just Google Google him and, and you'll find out. Um, uh, all of the accolades and accomplishments that he, that he has, uh, but uh, I'm I'm excited to introduce him. So, with that, give me a few moments, and I will get him and Salam uh, here joining us. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. All right, we're back here. We have uh, Jim Farrell on on Zoom with us, and Salam and I are both in studio, so thanks to the both of you for, for joining us and being here. Absolutely. Hi, Chris. Salam good, is... Good being with you both. Salam, you, good to see you. Chris, great being with you. Yeah, and, you know, Thank thanks you. for technology that we can still do these and see, yeah. see folks... Uh, you know, face to face. It took took me a while, you know, hosting this to to start doing these on Zoom when COVID, you know, during COVID last year, I was still doing phone calls. <laughs> but wish I could go back and you know and do Zoom calls because it's just nice to have the face to face interaction. So, uh, Jim, I, you know, I mentioned to you, I gave you a, uh, a brief introduction um, in our 
you know, in the, in the pre-recording here. Uh, but just want to share again with you on, on the call now. Uh, you know, I, I consider you a, you know, personal friend and mentor. I got to work with you at, at Arbinger and, and I, I tried to learn as much as I can in any interaction that I had with you, but I thought it fitting, um, you know, to kind of share my very first interaction with you, uh, because it taught me a lot about, a lot about you and, and what eventually I could expect at my time uh, when I was at Arbinger, but, um, uh, this is going to be interesting. Okay. I can't wait to hear yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, I was still in school out in uh, BYU Hawaii and I was working for the, the peace building center out there with Chad and, and I started to do work, uh, you know, with Arbinger with athletics and all I knew about Jim Farrell was, you know, you were the author of, you know, some of the Arbinger books and you're, you know, to a lot of the students out there, you're kind of put on this pedestal. It's like, oh, it's Jim Farrell, right? That's all I knew. I never had met you or anything. And then one day, randomly, I still remember the day I was actually heading to the trainer's uh, training room to get ice, <laughs> to ice my knees. And uh, you phoned me up. And apparently, you know, I guess you had got my number from Chad, but you said, hey, this is Jim Farrell. And I, what's he doing calling me? And you said that you were about to go and work with a college uh, team. I think it was a, a volleyball team at the oh, collegiate yeah, yeah, level. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, through Chad, you had learned about what I was doing with, with yeah. uh, uh, you know, athletics, with athletes uh, using the Arbinger material. So you called me and your first words were, hey, I just, I just want to learn from you. <laughs> and I remember yeah. feeling like, what does this guy want to, I mean, why would he want to learn from me, right? I'm a, I'm a college student and, you know, what do I know? And, and you said, you know, you said, well, look, you know, you've been doing this with, with athletes. So I, I want to, you know, I don't, I want to learn what you've been doing and what's working, what's not working. And we spent, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes on, on the yeah. phone, but, but I appreciated that interaction, right. And the humility that you had and, and, uh, you know, that didn't change, uh, from, you know, when I, when I came to Arbinger, I think one of my, my first, uh, interactions with you there, you, you know, you pulled me in your office and, and you said, uh, you said, you know, Chris, I, I, I don't, so much care about how long you stay here. I just want to know that your time here is worth your while. So tell me what you want to do with your life and what's important to you so I can make sure that, you know, I do my part in helping you get there. And that meant a lot to me also. Um, Hmm. So I've, you know, I have, and I have several more uh, interactions with you that I, I am, I'm fond of and that I remember often um, and that I, you know, I I try to share with others. So. Yeah, look, I've, and I've loved all of our times together. Um, I remember that phone call now that you mentioned it. I'd forgotten, but I, but I'll, let me just add to that because I, I recall you'd worked with a, yeah, a number of different different sports teams around that body of work. And, and coming out of that conversation, I, I can't remember how long it was until I was going for my first engagement with this volleyball team, this particular college volleyball team. And I was actually driving in the car. And I was thinking through our conversation. I was thinking about all the body of work that I've been working with and all the thoughts I had going in, um, working with this team. And I realized while I was driving that the standard way of doing things, all the ways I'd been doing things with corporations for years and years and years, it wasn't going to work with a volleyball team. It just wouldn't work. It, it, would, it had to be different. And so by the time I had about an hour drive, and by the time I, I got there, in my mind, I totally had reinvented sort of kind of the way I'd been doing things. And then ended up bringing that back, and that ended up kind of changing a lot of the ways we did things there at the company. But because when I said, "Look, I just want to learn," yeah, I, mean, I really did just want to learn. I I wanted to. Um, I knew. I mean, it's a different context. I mean, I 
I, I, you know, I was formerly an athlete as well, but, you know, I hadn't worked yet in that space professionally. And yeah, so that was really helpful. I, I, I forgot about that conversation, but now I remember it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I share that to, you know, as a personal introduction, uh, to you, um, you know, I, I mentioned, uh, previously to, to listeners in the pre-recording that people can Google you and find plenty of the accolades, uh, you know, uh, Yale, uh, you know, law school, uh, just author of several books. Um, you've spoken all over the world and, and worked with many different organizations. So there's a, there's a lot to be said about, you know, your professional experience and, and what you, what you bring to the table in any conversation. And so it truly is a, a gift and a pleasure to have you here. Um, well, but yeah, but with that, just go ahead and, and introduce yourself and, and what it is you're up to now, you know, what got you here, who you are, you know, I know who you are is different than what you do. So kind of, you know, take those questions and, and run with it. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I could go a lot of directions. Um, let me start with what I'm doing now just briefly, and then I'll sort of backtrack. And we'll certainly want to get into that later, but go ahead. Yeah. So, so I founded a, a company called the Withy Leadership Center um, and this is really a culmination of, of things I've been working in, um, and ideas I've had for years and years and years. So, so that actually just, we launched that the first of the year. Uh, so that's really exciting. That's, so we'll come back to that. Um, prior to that for years, I was, um, I was with the Arbinger Institute. So I was a longtime managing partner there for over 20 years, 20, 25 years, um, and it was really exciting. I, I think it's a really amazing body of work. Uh, and, and the challenge that, well, there were a lot of challenges anytime you're sort of building a company, but, but for me, um, what, one of the biggest challenges was how to take a body of uh, really philosophical work and make it highly practical and simple, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. I mean, you can have the best ideas in the world, but if they're too complicated, no one's going to do them. Everyone's too busy anyway. And, and, and we're especially nowadays in a, in a climate, a, a soundbite climate, Twitter culture. I mean, you've got, you've got a limited number of characters uh, to sort of make sense to people, right? Yeah. So um, that, was, that was a challenge, you know, from the early days in my work at Arbinger. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I, that I, that I really loved was actually trying to, trying to take complex things and simplify, 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 and then see how you can, how you can help people to leverage those ideas. And so, you know, I've been doing that for the better part of three decades. Um, but now look, let me tell you what's in my heart. Um, cause what's in my heart is, is, uh, overcoming divides and bringing people together. I mean, that's what I care about. And, um, that's what I cared about all those years at Arbinger with the really is, is, is really about taking that up a level as well uh, and advancing that mission even further. I mean, I think, I think we're in a world, I mean, you see this when I, when I say a world or society, but this is true of, of every organization as well. Those are just microcosms of society. Every, every organization is, um, you have divides all over the place. You have walls that have gone up. You have people sort of hunkered down into their own groups. Uh, and, and so how, how can you, how can you in a very, um, when you have all this diversity amongst individuals at the individual level at the group level, um, how can you actually bring people together so they function together as one? I mean, your, your, Chris, your experience in athletics all these years, I mean, it's so much was about what you were always about 
which is how do you, how do you take a whole bunch of egos? And when you get at the level of athletics that you participated in, everyone's got an ego and they've driven to a certain level. And how can you band together and function sort of as an organism, as one entity, mm-hmm. how do you do that? And that to me is the, it is the key leadership question for every leader at the team level, at the organizational level. It's also the question of, at the societal level as well. Um, and, uh, and there are a lot of theories about that um, uh, and about how you do it, but um, that's, that's been what I've cared about really all, my entire professional life. And that's what we're really working on that key issue at Withy as well. Well, I, I love I love that you shared that because, um, you know, overcoming divides, bringing people together, very very much connected. Uh, you know, almost word for word to what we're, you know, wanting to do in, in our community and why Groundwork, our leadership institute, exists. You know, as 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 philanthropists or the the philanthropists that we, you know, we work for, they care deeply about their community, and they care deeply about uh, their community finding their own answers. And so, yeah. how can we, you know, how can our framework, our rooted leadership framework, uh, or our rooted framework in general, you know, help people take the complexity of what they face uh, as organizations um, and as community leaders? Uh, and and simplify it, at, but while at the same time bringing them together with a common language, um, right. and to see you know see the challenges or the opportunities the same way, um, yeah. you know is, is is important to us. Uh, and yeah. so I love that uh, I love that you shared that. Um, you're you know I'm eager to learn learn from uh, from you and our guests to learn from you and and how you've found success in in doing just that, overcoming divides and bringing people together. That's certainly a journey more more than a destination. Um, you know, we will will uh, will spend a lifetime uh, trying to you know to to help people do that, even ourselves included. So um, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. So can you tell us? You know, let's get into to with you a little bit. Um, can you tell us kind of the 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 meaning behind the name? I know I you mentioned it to me on another call we had you know a few weeks ago, but. Uh, just really interested in, in hearing you, you know, kind of share yeah. the origin story of, of Withy and what it is that you're all about there. Yeah. yeah okay. So the, the name is really about what we were just talking about. It's about being with, being together, right? So we actually spell the name of the company in sort of an odd sort of way. It's with, with three eyes at the end, Withy. Um, and, and the three eyes are really, it really represents multiple people, you know, groups. It's more than two eyes would be like, maybe a single relationship. We're talking about groups. We're talking whole bodies of folks coming together, working as one. So that's really where, where the, where the word came from. And, and the, that's what the work is about. And, and if you, it, I'll dive into sort of a piece of our work and we can, we can go, you know, where we want to go with it, mm-hmm. because here's a bedrock idea that I think is actually really important. Um, and understanding this in my experience is really key to getting really good at helping people to come together. And that is that, um, just think of an organization for a moment. And when I say organization, I'll, I'll speak corporately, I suppose here, but but just consider the word organization to, to mean, to reference any body of people. So it could be a community, it could be a nation, it could be a family, whatever, okay? So in any, in any organization, you have... You have individuals on the one hand, 
okay, that make up a single entity. Together, they all are part of a single entity on the other. So you have this, you have this very interesting duality. You have you have the individual side of things. We are individuals after all. There, here, here I'm sitting here, there are you two sitting there. We are, we have separate bodies. I mean, mm-hmm. we have our own brains. I mean, there, there's this individual aspects to us. And yet, like we sign up, let's say, in a company or an organization or in a nation for that matter, as citizens of a common country, that we're part of something together. So there's a collective side of this and an individual side of it, okay? And what's what's really interesting is that, um, and there's been a lot of research done on this, but growth and change happens through this interplay between our individual natures and our collective natures. Let me just give you an example of this, just for just each individual's journey. I mean, we're born as infants and we're just an individual sort of, ba- uh, we're just worried about basic needs. I, I need to eat something, you know, or, or I'm sleepy. Uh, and, you know, it's just me sort of getting through sort of the basic needs of life. And then, but then I get integrated into a group that I find myself among my family, let's say. And so I so this individual facet of me is sort of pulled into this collective facet, this this family organization. And so I integrate inside that family. But but then what happens as I get a little bit older and this is this is the path we all take is I I want to sort of spike out individually, even inside that family and and exert my own separateness. Right. Uh, In my family, um, with my family. I don't know if I there you are. and um, and so I'll sort of press out and and spike out and try to be different than my family in some sorts of ways, right? Mm-hmm. And then I might then I might become part of a larger group that's larger larger than just my family. I realize, oh wait, there's a larger we than my family. There's my neighborhood, or there's my this group or that group, and and so I find myself being drawn. And, and each each successive sort of group that I see myself a part of pulls more out of me. I mean, I, I discover more of myself. I bring more of myself. And, and this is just sort of the way we grow. We grow by the individual sides of us, discovering the collective sides of us. The collective needs pull more out of us than we would have ever given if we were just all by ourselves on our own. And then that that equips us to do more individually, which then allows us to bind up uh, in in larger and larger and more expansive ways. And and that's really how human beings grow. And it's the same way organizations is that um, I I mean, you you know, when we met, Chris, I mean, you joined the, the organization and as an individual, you came on board, you brought all your individual talents. But now more was called out of you because of the organizational mission. You step this is what's happening with you there um, in all the work you're doing there in Salem as well, um, is, I mean, you're, you, there's all kinds of things you're probably doing now. You had no idea you could even do, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when you were all by yourself dreaming what might happen, you, had, you couldn't have predicted all the things you're up to. And that, that has to do with both those sides of you, the individual side of you, the collective side. So in an organization, um, what that, what that looks like. So from a leadership perspective, and this is one of the things we help leaders to both be able to see and then act upon is to realize, look, there's the individual aspect of things in an organization, but then there's the organization that's a collective, okay? And um, and then, um, and I wrote a paper on this. Uh, in fact, uh, Salam, you had, you had mentioned this paper earlier. You might have some specific questions coming out of it, but on the Withy website, withy.com, there's a whole bunch of white papers that get into different facets of Withy's work. But in this one, this is about uh, four-dimensional change. 
you have the think about the individual side first for a moment. There are things that you can't see about me. They're my thoughts, my feelings, my aspirations. I've got them. I mean, they're huge for me in my life, but you can't see them. You can, you can hear the words I'm saying and you can see the things I'm doing. You can see the outside of me as mm-hmm. it were. You don't see the inside of me, but they both exist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So individuals have an outside and an inside. So do organization. So uh, there's a lot of talk about corporate culture, for example. Well, that's what you can't really quite see. I mean, it's the, it's the part of an organization, the collective, you can't see, but it's every bit as real as my own internally experienced side of my, me individually. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, it's what, what's believed in around here. It's what the aspiration is around the place. It's how we're feeling about what kind of devotion there is or isn't, um, what kind of mission that we're all united around, whether we're feeling that, whether we're not. That's the inside of an organization. But then you have the outside of an organization, which is the stuff you can see, like the structure, like the, your system, your processes, the various artifacts of an organization. These are all externally visible. So, so you have these two dimensions to both individuals and the individual and the collective. You have the inside of both and the outside of both. And what that sets up is four dimensions that leaders that are always in play but usually people are, aren't, they're not maybe aware of that, or they're at least they're not paying attention to it. Anytime you're, you're trying to grow, like you're, all the growth you're bringing to the community, you're trying to grow an organization, we're trying to improve, et cetera. There's four, there's four big dimensions of that that are all in relation to each other. One is two of those dimensions are on the individual side. So how are we, what's, what's the, what are the attitudes of the folks in the, in, in the organization? How are they feeling about things? You know, how are they seeing things? How are they experiencing things? That's, that's part of it. The other part on the individual side is what are the things that everyone's doing? What are, what are the work practices around this place? How, what are our leadership practices? What are our communication practices? I mean, these are all the, all, these are all the individual behaviors we're engaged in. But on the collective side, you've got what's the culture of the place? But then you also have what are the systems and structures that have influence here? And it turns out that all of these four dimensions affect each other. In fact, I was reading a really interesting book yesterday. This was fascinating to me. And this is an example of how um, these different dimensions affect each other. It was actually a study about Botox, of all things. Okay, so here was the study. So, you know, when you get Botox, I've never done it, but I've seen people who have done it. You know, people get Botox and kind of they can't move their face muscles anymore if they get them in their face, right? You kind of look porcelain. You can't really smile anymore. Your smile muscles don't work. Your frown muscles don't work. You lose your wrinkles on your forehead. Well, it turns out that the studies show that, that smiling, actually, the external act of smiling has an internal effect on a person, mm-hmm. an emotional effect. And by when I can't physically smile, I have different Im- internal emotional experience as a result of not being able to physically smile. I mean, I didn't know that, um, but the studies show that. That's an example of how the external of an individual actually affects the internal of an individual. Now, it goes both ways. Certainly the internal of an individual, and you and I, Chris, both have a lot of an experience in this area how I'm seeing others, how I'm feeling about others has massive impact on how I'm going to behave toward them. Okay. So that's true that direction as well. But the, but, but what's key is that the changes in each of these dimensions affect all the other. And so to only concentrate on one of them uh, can, can create trouble. You know, the organizations end up sort of plateauing in their, in their, um, in their journey. 
because they're really loading up on just the culture quadrant, for example, or just the attitude quadrant, for example, or they're just structure folks, or they're only concentrating on behavior. And those are all important, okay? But, but, but they're all tethered to each other. So if I'm only working behavior, for example, which are, that's affected by the systems of an organization or a family. I mean, think about a family. We can have family rules in place that are actually inviting all kinds of weird behaviors from the people in the family. And we can start, we can demand the kids, for example, start behaving differently. But, but what if they, what, what about the rules? I mean, like one of my rules was one of our, one of our rules with when the kids were young was, Hey, don't eat in the family room. Okay. Except I ate in the family room as <laughs> death. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, mean, so, I mean, that has an effect on the behavior of the others in the family, right? If, well, wait, dad's eating in the family. Room. So all these, all these rules and how they're being lived up to or not, they all affect each other. And so, you know, we help organizations and leaders to see that and to, and to not make the mistake of, of trying to, trying to make all the changes simply by concentrating on a single aspect of the change, because they're going to find that ultimately that alone is not going to work. Yeah. I've been a great admirer of your work for a long, long time. So I'm delighted that we have the opportunity to spend some time with you and continue to learn from your wisdom and experience. Uh, I really appreciate this white paper that you wrote uh, for dimensional change. And what I was curious about, especially with this interplay of individual and collective, which is something that is so true and, and found in every aspect of society. But when I think about our society in particular, there's a lot of emphasis on the individual and yeah. a desire to be different, a desire to be unique, a desire to stand out. So I'm kind of curious how, you know, you alluded to this a little bit, but how do you fit that into an environment where the individual, that individuality is not compromised or lost in the process because that's yeah. what promotes innovation, creativity, and yes. essentially better outcomes for the organization. And as I look at the quadrant, um, I I know you have them numbered in terms of attitude, behavior, culture, structure. How does that occur within this quadrant? Is there a sequence that an organization must follow? Is the responsibility, what we call accountability in the rooted framework, is the responsibility on the individual or the organization? How does this work in in an any given organizational setting? Those are great questions. Yeah, first of all, there's no... Uh, there's there's no significance to the ordering of the numbers. Uh, I just had to start somewhere. <laughs> so mm-hmm. one of the quadrants is number one, but uh, it, that's not saying that that's the first one. They all they all are correlated and interrelated. This um, this interplay of the collective. It's really interesting, Salam. Um, what you just said because it turns out that, and there are many studies on this, and many books actually written on this topic as well. There's a pendulum that swings in society actually between the 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 we and the I. There's a there's a recent book. In fact, I might have it around here somewhere because I, I I read it recently. I don't see it. Um, it's called The Upswing. It's by Robert Putnam, who's a who's one of the leading political scientists in the country. He wrote a a, a really big bestseller about 20 years ago called Bowling Alone, which was about what you were just talking about, Salam, which is sort of about the individualism of society presently. But what the upswing is, shows is data. There's been the massive upswing from about 
1890 all the way to 1964, there was a movement in the United States from, from a very I-centered world in 1890 to, a, to a very much more of a we-centered sort of world in 1964, which, which started tipping over and swung back to the I ever since 64. That's, that's a recent work. Other works have shown, though, actually, you have this pendulum that swings more quickly than that, say, every 20 years or every 40 years, depending on the study, you've got you've got society that goes very individualistic, which creates some problems. So it corrects the other direction, going more and more toward the collective, which creates its own problems. If you're losing individuality and everyone gets lost and you, you get the problem of group think and what can happen there. And so then that's an overcorrection. So now it swings back to the eye. And so you have this interplay. It's really interesting when you get into the studies, this interplay between the I and the we is key in the development of societies. It's key in the, indiv- in the development of an individual person. And it's key in the, indiv- in the, in the development of any organization. And I would say from, from my, exp- my experience and, and our perspective here at Withy, the answer is not to say, oh, just focus on the we or just focus on the I. That's a mistake. What we're saying actually is, no, there's four quadrants. There's the I, there's the I hemisphere with two quadrants. There's the we hemisphere with two quadrants. And leaders who are on top of this want to be focusing on them both. We want people to be doing their best individually and, and providing opportunities for individual and personal growth. It's actually critically important for both their contribution to the we and, and, their, um, and their abilities to take this collective up a level itself. I mean, think, in fact, I was just on a phone call with a group um, just last week, and they're doing this really interesting work with building communities, digital communities, and it's very forward-looking work. But, but what's interesting about it is, so you build a community and that now they're really getting alive to, well, there's four dimensions to this. We've got to take, we've got to be paying attention to the attitudinal side of the people in the communities. We've got to, the behavioral side. What are the structures of the community? What's the culture of the place? There's all those things to, to be paying attention to. But what they need, what they also realized was this, that today's collective is tomorrow's individual. Here's what I mean by that. Um, take a take a company right now that's growing. That's the group. That's the collective. It's made up of individuals. But as that grows, how that group, the company's actually going to grow, is itself becoming part of larger groups itself. Not by hunkering it down and only closing off its own growth and saying it's just us. That's a way of all of thinking about the organization as like a separate I divided from everything else. No. The collective itself, the way it grows and it's invited to become more than it currently is, is by allowing itself to be invited into bigger and bigger and more expansive relationships, being being brought into bigger and bigger we's, Does that, if that makes sense. So, um, so this interplay between the I and the we as a leader, I mean, if I'm a team leader, I want to be, I want to make sure that on the individual side, everyone on my team is it gets the equipment individually to, to thrive. I want to, I want to understand where they wanting to go. I want to help them to be able to get, to build whatever sort of path they're wanting. Okay. Um, and helping them to understand how they fit in with the whole and making sure that we've got the team culture that we need, the team structures and processes that aren't getting in people's way. And I'm looking at all of those four dimensions because I realize they all depend on each other. The individuals work way more effectively if they're invited and equipped to do so by the collective um, uh, infrastructure of the place, 
Okay. And the individuals really going and going and innovating and innovating, it, it actually acts as a pull on, on all the infrastructure and the structures and the culture. It, it, it's both directions. So, um, so you want to pay attention. Yeah. There's a lot of talk about, am I an I or am I a we? And the answer is, yeah, <laughs> both. And <laughs> I mean, we're, we're both individuals and we're part, we're parts of a whole bunch of holes. I mean, I'm, I'm an individual part of a family and part, which is part of a larger family, which is a part of a larger family. We're all individuals, part of organizations, which are connected to other organizations, which are connected to communities. And so we're all in, we're all these nested holes, if you will. Right. And, and as we, as we recognize that and, and work our respective, the four dimensions at each sort of level, we can grow and grow into larger and larger holes and larger and larger communities. Yep. Thank you. So what, um, I love, I love, you know, just how you're kind of breaking, breaking things down. Um, it makes a lot of, a lot of sense. Again, what you mentioned earlier, you know, something that can be incredibly complex, uh, simplifying it. Um, but you know, what I, one question I have that comes to mind is what about when, you know, we don't have the control, uh, you know, or the power, right. Let's say, um, to to make address some of these areas right when you're looking at those different quadrants it seems to be that obviously the individual level speaking for myself is probably the first thing that i can address but what if i don't have the the means or the power to even be able to address some of those those other aspects whether it's in my my family you know my community my organization um you know what 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 where do we go what do we do um at at that point yeah that's a great question so it's, um, you know, look, as human beings, we're, we're uh, multifaceted. Uh, we have relationships in many different directions. And it might be in some dimension of my life, I don't have the kind of power you're talking. I don't have power to influence structures, for example, if I'm new to a certain company. Fair mm-hmm. enough. But there's probably another organization that I'm connected to, maybe my own family, for example, or my own street uh, you know, my own block of neighborhood where maybe I do have some, some ability to affect this, even the structural side of things. So, so it's not a one answer that for, for every dimension of my life, but let's take the organizational side for a moment. So when I'm hired on, let's say as a young employee, you're exactly right, Chris, that I, um, where I'm really living is on the individual side of that, the individual attitude side, the individual behavior side. That's true. But as I'm, but I'm affected by the other sides as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if my, if the leaders of that organization are wise, they're going to, they're going to realize that and they could beat me over the head to behave a certain way or have a certain kind of attitude. But if the structures of the organization or the culture of the place are inviting otherwise, that's going to be a losing battle now, but let's say I'm, but nevertheless, I'm the one coming in. I'm that young employee. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I'm getting more and more experience. What one way to look at leadership and acquiring more and more leadership responsibility, what it is, is it's one of the things it is, is it's 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 also acquiring um, and being entrusted with more and more ability and responsibility for these right hand quadrants of structure and culture, because the, the higher I go in an organization or the longer I'm there, so I know more, the more actually it's it's no longer the case that I that I don't have. Uh, don't have the ability to affect. I do. I mean, I, maybe I'm just a, I'm a manager. I'm maybe I'm a frontline manager. Well, I have the ability to affect the structures and the processes and the systems in my team <laughs> and the culture within my team. I, I have an ability to have, now we're also affected by the larger culture. Fair enough. 
but but I'm acquiring more and more ability to be working the right-hand hemispheres here, as we call it. If you have the left-hand side, which is the individual hemispheres, the right-hand side of the, the collective hemispheres, the more the higher I go in an organization, the more I responsible, responsible I become for all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the temptation is when you're young, and it's not just a temptation, I, that's the wrong word. It's actually a reality. Look, if I'm if I'm hired into an organization that has a kind of a crummy culture, they're going to lose most of their best people. They just will. Mm-hmm. Um, because the people will come in that want to have the right kind of attitude. They want to, they want to be behaving in a certain kind of way. But if they're, if they find that the culture and the structures are not conducive to that, that's going to be hard. So that's why leaders need to be paying attention. That's it's incredibly important. It's a, it's about retention. It's about growth. It's about all those things, but, but then also being intentional about um, okay, as we grow, as the leaders grow, they need to understand they're growing partly in their responsibility for culture and structure and systems and process. That's part of what they're they're growing into, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that's that's part of the life cycle of of someone in an organization. But here again, um, even when I'm young in an organization, I might have I might have larger span of influence in other pieces of my life in my family, for example, or other places than I currently do in the workplace. It's, you know, it, that that's true of all of us. Yeah. And, um, you know, while, while I, I certainly agree that, you know, at the individual level, there's, there's a lot that we, we have control. There's a lot that we don't have control over, but there also is a lot that we do. <laughs> um, yeah. and being able to, to see that, uh, I think is, is important for anyone. But you also, you know, without saying it, you're speaking to the importance of, of leadership, right? And and actually, in my my research area right now, in, in my PhD, my research area is is community transformation. And mm. you know, the more that I I get into this, the more I realize, well, look, community transformation doesn't happen until there's organizational transformation, and organizational transformation doesn't happen until there's leadership transformation, right? And leadership transformation yeah. doesn't happen until there's individual transformation. So it's kind of this natural cycle, but, but it's, a, you know, it's, an, it's important because uh, we can't expect uh, a community to change overnight, right? Unless we, we see True. organizations starting to, starting to change and within those organizations, leaders and, and individuals. Um, and so what, what, you're, what you're saying is just speaking to the importance of, you know, which it's not groundbreaking theory, but the theory I'm saying is that you know, it's leadership, like people within leadership positions are just cr- absolutely crucial in, yeah. in this sort of change. Sorry to cut you off. No, 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 no. That's, that's exactly right. And something you just said, um, sparked something in my mind, Chris, and it's that, and it, it, I remembered a, a, a job interview that I had someone come in, this is years ago, this is probably 10 years ago. And this gentleman comes in for a job interview and he, and he said something I'd never thought of before that I, I, I thought it was fascinating, first of all. And I thought it's, exact, it's exactly right. What he said was, you know, in this modern culture, at least in the West, um, where most people anymore get their personal development training is actually on the job. I mean, it used to be maybe people got that in their churches or other sorts of sort of community yeah. sort of things. But, but as those have diminished, relatively speaking, compared to the past, uh, more and more people are sort of getting their, even their moral development, if you will, yeah. uh, uh, through their workplaces. So, so now you put that idea together with this one. And this is what, what your comment just sparked for me, Chris. And it's that, is that, look, when you're, when you're in an or, you're working in an organization, let's say you're a leader in an organization, for example, 
you're not only a leader in an organization. That the organization is a is a collection, is a sampling of that community. And all those folks, when they leave that organization at night, go back into their communities. I mean, the way it, to the extent we have community issues. And if it's true, as one gentleman suggested to me, where most people are getting their personal development training anymore is through their workplaces, then, then it follows from that, that our organizations, getting the communities inside the organizations to be bonded in a certain kind of way, mm-hmm. be reaching cross lines, working and doing that, scaling that across cross companies is how you actually scale that change. One of the key ways you scale it across entire cultures as well. Um, anyway, it, something about what you just said, raise that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Jim, just building on this discussion that, that you and Chris were having, um, I would like to ask you, if you don't mind, to elaborate on, on, a, on a component of your white paper, and the section is the folly of ignoring or collapsing quadrants. And the, and the piece that was really intriguing for me is the foundationalist um, aspect of it. I think you call it the foundationalist mistake. Yeah. Um, and I love when you say leaders need to be paying attention to these nuances, because what you're saying is that leadership really matters and the leader's behavior or approach is going to inform how we manage those four quadrants. Yes. What I'm curious about is this notion of a foundationalist mistake, because leaders sometimes take on the responsibility, as you just discussed, of training people, of instilling in them the ethos of the company or their organization. And sometimes they're not aware that they may be affecting the other quadrants. Yes. Or maybe it's intentional in some cases. I really don't know. But I'd love for you to discuss that with with us and our audience. And if you have some examples from your experience, that would really be helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. So you take these four quadrants. If If you think about almost any change, any sort of consultancy or training company, they usually specialize in one quadrant or two. They either specialize in a quadrant or a hemisphere, either the individual side of the equation or the or the uh, collective side of the equation or the other hemisphere would be the um, external sort of uh, quadrants or the internal ones. Okay, Uh, and the foundationalist mistake is to think that fixing things in one quadrant will fix everything else, that every the other everything else follows from one of the quadrants. And it just isn't true. They all actually affect each other. They're all tethered to each other. Um, and so I'll give you, give you some examples. Um, you could name, you can name almost any academic discipline, almost any training company. You can sort of fit them in a quadrant. I mean, they're behavioral training companies that, fo- that focus on behavior. They're, they're sort of, uh, systems companies that focus like, like lean, for example, is very much, and for the most part, an external systems, both individual and collective sort of, and it's great. That's what it is. And you realize that that's what it, there are other organizations that that really concentrate on attitudinal change, whether it's through mindset or through other sorts of mechanisms that are really, really concentrated in quadrant one. And it's super important. And they might get into some other areas as well. But but it's but it's not going to fix everything. That doesn't mean it's not important. It is. It just it's not, that alone is not going to fix everything. And the foundationalist mistake is to think that one of those is primary over all the others. Um for example, you look at this historically, Marxist theory, for example, is a structuralist theory. That's a quadrant for that everything that happens in society is driven by the structures, the economic structures of the of the of the society. So that's a, that's a foundationalist mistake, quadrant four, from my point of view, and ignores the internal sides, for example, of the individual and the collective, uh, et cetera. 
Um, now, let me give you an example. Um, so a number of years ago, um, I was contacted by a company, a very big company. Almost everyone who hears this podcast would know the name of this company. I'm not going to say it. Uh, but they, among other things, uh, um, one of the services they supply is they'll supply the technical expertise for companies. So a company can essentially hire this company for, to, to take on their entire technical side of the business. So the folks actually come, they sort of feel like they're employees of the, of the customer company. They're actually being paid by the supplier company. They're, they're, they're supplying the technical IT departments and stuff. Well, the challenge here, so I was contacted by the supplier here that was supplying the technical IT department, technical expertise to a large energy company. The problem was the energy company was not happy with their performance. And the contract was at risk. And it's a really big contract. And, um, and of course, the, the supplier is pretty worried about that. They don't want to lose the contract. So they said, can you please help us? I mean, we don't want to lose the contract. We need to do a better job. And the other company. So it was really a conflict situation. It had gotten to that level. It was, it was a pretty, uh, pretty uh, bad situation. So I said, well, let me talk to the other, to the, the, other, the, the employing company, the energy company leadership as well, which I did. And we talked through some things and and yeah, they were at wit's end and they would love it if something changed. So, so I ended up writing a proposal. And basically my proposal was a pretty much a quadrant one proposal, which is a change your attitude very, very different, sort of in very different ways. I didn't use that kind of language, but, but it was a proposal around changing the deep attitudes of the individuals on both the supplier side, technical you know, supplier side and the energy company side. And they bought it. They bought the intervention and I went in to do that. Well, if you think about it, it's, it's curious a little bit on its face because the, the problems that they were feeling, they weren't feeling quadrant one problems. They were feeling quadrants two, the two outside, they were, they were feeling the behavioral problems and the performance problems, right? That's where they were feeling the pain. And I came in with, with a solution that wasn't about those. It was about the stuff that's beneath that, which is important. It's got to be part of the solution. But, but what happened was, I mean, they really, I mean, it, it was a, it was an interesting project. They liked it. They liked what we did in the sense that they found it fascinating and helpful personally in a number of different ways, but it didn't ultimately actually solve the problem. Uh, and so on the big issue, they, they were unhappy with it. They would have, they didn't tell me that per se, but they would have have to have been unhappy with it because um, it didn't get resolved and that, that company ended up losing the contract. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so that's an example of where I actually was too foundationalist in that intervention. What I was doing was actually an important component of what needed to happen, but it wasn't enough to feel like that change alone was going to fix all the various things that were going on was, was just too much of a reach. And if I had, a, if I'd had a higher level view and I, and, and, and partly what a higher level view does for you, it actually allows you to ask questions that you wouldn't even, wouldn't even occur to you to ask uh, without that view. Right. I mean, and equips you to see things that you wouldn't be able to see. Um, and you know, were I to do that intervention now, it would have looked a lot different, uh, than what I did then, but that's an example. Um, but you'll see this all over the place. I mean, look, it's people generally speaking, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of great work being done out there in all the quadrants. Uh, there's just a temptation when you're working one of the quadrants to think that yours is the most important one. <laughs> then you end up sort of yeah. neglecting the other. Yeah. It's just a natural temptation. And, and that's one of the things that with the, 
we don't want to fall prey to that. And partly, um, this is partly why the name too, we don't want to put walls up around the company and pretend like the ideas and the work we have inside our own walls is the only work that actually matters. You know, there's a lot of really important work that's happening outside the walls of with the, that we can actually engage with as well. And we can pull in, we can, there might be, you know, there might be a specific quadrant four, which would be a structural issue, for example, that requires a particular kind of expertise that a withy, we don't feel like we have enough of that particular, we're going to go get it then from someone who's got it. I, we can, you can pull together. If you, if you've got the view, you have the lens that allows you to see the bigger picture. Yeah. You can, you can see where your own strengths are and where your holes are. And then you can go pull in strength to fill those holes, you know, on behalf of clients. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is really fascinating. It was getting into one of my other, you know, questions uh, that I have. Um, and it's, it's about, you know, our framework. One of the, one of the kind of the, the most, uh, enjoyable parts of this, uh, you know, doing the show and the podcast is we've spoken to so many different leaders already. I mean, you know, in 30 something episodes, but plenty enough to kind of give us the, the affirmation of, of our, of our model, our framework. But it's, it's always interesting to see how it fits in with, with what other people are doing and kind of their own philosophies or their theories of, yeah. of change or their lenses that they carry. And that was, you know, part of the purpose behind the rooted framework. It's, you know, it's so simple. And my question is that I'll get to here in a second is, you know, is essentially, and you can be thinking about this as I explain a little bit more of the framework, but is where, where would our framework fall, you know, with this lens of these, these four dimensions, because, you know, one of the the purposes in us creating this uh, was to do very sim- a similar thing that that you mentioned of how can we help people find their own answers. Um, we don't claim to have all the answers, but if you can see your work through this lens, through this this rooted lens, you know it can point you in the right direction. Of is this more of a soil issue? Is this more of a weeds issue? Is this more of a seeds issue? And it can help uh, you know leaders and organizations know where they need to spend uh, their time. Um, because if something's going wrong, uh, is that, is that a problem of, uh, is that a, a seed or, or is it a problem of, of soil, et cetera? And you can kind of, you know, grasp what, what the, 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 the analogy is there, but just basically I'll, I'll give you a quick definition, right? Uh, and I can't remember if we've, sh- if I've shared this with you on an, on another call, um, but would love to hear your thoughts on it and where you would see this falling. Now, a lot of it is, was created, you know, um, uh, by myself and Salam, and I'm coming from this very, you know, attitudinal, attitudinal sort of lens, right? Because my time in peace building and and at Arbinger, and so that's definitely you know uh, a part of it because the creator of it uh, was uh, you know found um, a personal connection to that. But I also saw that there's there's room you know for so much more in the creation of this. But back to the point, right? The way we define the way we define soil is is the people, right? It's it's uh it's it it is the people and everybody brings different cultures and identities and family dynamics and so when we're looking at the health of our of an organization we're really looking at at the people and the way the way that we kind of include this idea that you know uh, that you're referring to as attitude and arbinger might call it mindset um uh you know it's this way that we see the world around us see other people you know that determines to us, the health of of the soil, right? If people are self interested and self focused in unhealthy ways, um, then that would make toxic soil. Versus, you know, if we're more thinking along the lines of of we um, and us, uh, you know, then that would be you know healthy soil. 
And so those are determining factors. And then the key indicators, uh, the health of, and I'll just kind of spin off this organization, you know, uh, uh, um, the organizational lens, even though this would apply, let's say in a community or family, um, would be the culture and, and the climate, right? And these are all sort of things that, like you've mentioned, that you can't really see, right? But then when we get into seeds, the seeds are what you can see. The seeds are usually stem from some idea that turn into, you know, a process or, or a system or, you know, a set of behaviors, if we're looking at this individual level, um, that we, you know, then plant within the soil. Uh, and then obviously the weeds we refer to as, as, you know, to put it simply conflict uh, that will always arise. And conflict is interesting, you know, um, and as you know, a lot of my backgrounds in conflict, it's interesting because it's both seen and unseen, <laughs> right? There's so much yeah. of it that is, that, is, that is not seen, that's below the surface that you'll just never know from the outside. Yeah. But then there's just a huge portion of it oftentimes that is above the surface that everyone can right. see, both on an individual level and an organizational or a collective level, you right. know, using your language. And so just knowing the basics of our framework, I would love to kind of get your take on where that would fall, you know, in these four dimensions. Um, because again, in an effort that we want to continue to improve this um, and, and improve our framework and our model over time, because we want to help people find their own answers. We want to, and this is a question that I want to ask here in a second, um, and we're coming to the top of the hour, so uh, to the end of our hour together. Uh, but the pendulum, right? The, uh, the I and we, I mean, where is there a balance? And that's a, that's a separate question, but that's where we want to help people get to, right? Is where's the balance with that pendulum and, and yeah. how can the rooted framework help with that? So I know that's a loaded question, but uh, uh, yeah. really interested in, in, in your thoughts on it. Okay. So let me, uh, let me add one other idea and then I'll come back specifically to what you shared about your framework, Chris. So um, these four frameworks, the, the four quadrants for us are is sort of the territory of work, but that, that alone doesn't tell you what you do within them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have, and, and what our work is, is um, we, there, I mentioned that, that development, each of these quadrants is actually tethered to developments in the other. Um, they, they're interdependent. And with these work is about how they're interdependent. And, and what we do is we, we work to help people increase what we call convergence. And we can come to that if you want in each of the quadrants. And it's, it's a matter of expanding sort of practices in each quadrant out toward more and more convergence. And that's, and you, the more you do that, the more the group, the individual becomes, it doesn't, it's not that they give up their individualism. They're fully acting as individuals, but they're, they're exercising their wills, their agency as individuals completely on behalf of one another as part of a, a one entity team as well. Mm-hmm. And then you, then it's just like, it's amazing what happens when you get there. So that's what we do. We increase convergence okay. in each of these four quadrants. Uh, and there's whole strategies in how you do that. Um, now coming, coming to your specific question, it's interesting with metaphors because um, metaphors, you can kind of hold up to the light and look at them from different angles, right? Yeah. That's part of their power. And sometimes you can discover things in metaphors you didn't even know you that were there by simply looking at them from a different angle. So if I were to take the, let's take this soil for a moment um, and then say the seed and then a plant that starts growing out of the soil. Let's just take those elements mm-hmm. to begin with. Well, one way from a withy perspective that I could think of, I might think about that is to say, actually, uh, the soil, the health of the soil actually depends on all four of these quadrants, what's going on all four of the quadrants. I mean, 
you can have one of the quadrants that's sort of toxically behind the others and things aren't going to grow very well in that space. I mean, so that, that's one way you could think about the soil. Then if you're thinking about it that way, then it raises the question, then what's the plant that's growing out of that? Well, that might have to do with the services that are being provided by that organization, for example, on behalf of whom. I mean, that might be one way to look at it. Now, another way to look at it is to actually think of that metaphor as a different metaphor for the quadrants themselves, that actually the soil is the interior side, the, the interior two quadrants, and, mm-hmm. the, and the plant is the exterior two quadrants, right? It's what you can see above. Yeah, And that's a different way of looking at it. Um, it's just that if you do it that way, it makes it seem like two of the quadrants are the primary ones, and then the other two follow from it. Uh, and that's the foundationalist issue, right, that we were just talking about and Salam had asked about just a couple minutes ago. Um, so, you know, you can... The thing about meta, I love metaphors myself because they're clarifying, but you have to always remember that a metaphor is just a metaphor and yeah. it's, uh, and, and recognize what its limits are and let it, and, and recognize what it's trying to say. But if I were sitting in your seat, I'd be, I'd just be turning that metaphor around and looking at it from different angles and decide every maybe, you know, maybe the soil takes tending to all four of these quadrants and now let's grow amazing plants, uh, you know, yeah. as a result of that, or maybe you're doing above the surface, below the surface thing, and you're making a different kind of distinction. Um, yeah, those are the choices you'll have to make, but that's, that's sort of a first blush, how I would look at it. Yeah. No, I love, uh, just these four dimensions. It's, it's a great, you know, filter that I'm just using personally to, you know, to, to see our framework and the work that we do within our, our leadership institute and, and that we do in the community. Because, uh, again, always looking for ways to to enhance it. Um, yeah, and, and it's, and it's by the, oh, sorry, sorry to I just want to say, because what you're saying right there, it's if someone finds themselves being great at one quadrant and not so great at the other, that's not a failure. It's just, if, if you have, it just means I've got to go out and figure out what resources we can bring in to help on the other quadrants. That's all. Yeah. It's a great thing to see. And, and the world needs people who are great at particular kinds of work in the different quadrants. It doesn't need everyone to be a generalist. Um, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, to the extent that the quadrants help you to be able to take a look at what you're doing and say, Hey, you know, I think we're really doing pretty strong in, let's say, quadrant one in this area and quadrant two, we're doing these things. Quadrant three, maybe need a little bit of help or we don't know enough yet there. Quadrant, you know, that's that's a helpful lens. Yeah, I think. Jim, if I if I may ask a question about the, the framework, so to speak, or at least the four quadrants. Yeah. Um, are there specific indicators that Withy has for each one of those categories? So what does actually, what does culture look like? Because that's some of the things that we look at in, in groundwork in our rooted uh, leadership framework, uh, where culture is an indicator of healthy soil right. or toxic soil, if you will. So yes. does this tool get into specific details about what actually constitutes culture, what constitutes structure, et cetera? Sure. Yeah. Now, yes. Uh, but let me say this, that... Um, at Withy, we're we ourselves concentrate on a particular thing, which is how do you help the many people to operate together as one? Uh, okay, we really specialize in that. There are other things to pay attention to, right? Uh, you know, in the world and even an organization. I mean, there are there are a whole bunch of like financial structures, for example, that are really important. That you know, Withy, I, I wouldn't come to Withy to get help with financial structures. That's not. I mean, it's that's not what we're focusing on. But but if you want to help from 
from um, the way we think about this, this uh, progression in each of the quadrants, what we say is that, um, and we explain what we mean by this, but we can be operating at sort of subtractor level kind of way in each quadrant. We can be adding in each quadrant. We can be multiplying in each quadrant. We can be compounding in each quadrant. And, uh, and around those, yes. I mean, so if you're going to move to um, more and more coming together and working as one structurally, what does that look like? If you're going to look like more and more coming together, working as one culturally, what does that look like? What does that look like behaviorally? That's specifically what we okay. do. So yeah, there are indicators. I mean, um, you're, you want, for example, in the systems area, you want the systems to empower people to be operating, not, not just be transactional, certainly not being in the way, but actually energizing people uh, to be able to do their work. You want in, in the culture area, for example, if you're going to get to a level of culture that, that you might characterize as devotion, for example, I mean, there's such devotion to each other and to the cause. In my experience and in our work, it's pretty tough to pull that off if you don't have a if you don't have a purpose that's deeply meaningful that matters to people. Mm -hmm. uh, without that, culturally, you might top off at multiplying. You'll never got to get, get to compounding. Now, multiplying is good. I, there's nothing right. wrong with right. multiplying. That's better than a lot of people do. But you're not going to get a, to a compounder level, for example, unless you unless you have that kind of unifying purpose. That's an example. On the on the attitudinal side. We work through identity expansion there, um, and um, and it's just that um, how wide your identity becomes, how expanded it becomes, uh, is a massive deal, and and you're going to be held back at some point if it doesn't, if it if it stops expanding, if it stops at a certain level. I mean, I, I can have identity. I, all I care about is myself, or I can have identity. All I care about is my team. I mean, these are all that's better than only caring about myself. But but there's these different levels, and so we're we're helping in each in each dimension to help expand out the, the withness, if you will, yes, yes. the togetherness in the together aspects of culture, the together aspects of structure, the together aspects of behavior, the together aspects of attitude. Yep. That's what we do. But as I mentioned, there are other things in the world um, that people have to be paying attention to as well. Uh, and you, you wouldn't come to with for those items, but we can, with can bring those pieces in, um, you know, um, as well. That's great. Thank you. So, um, this has been, uh, amazing. Uh, we, we're, you know, we're, we're kind of at the end, the end of our hour, but just a, a couple more, more questions. Um, one is, you know, kind of based upon, uh, uh, everything we've been discussing and then, you know, final question, we'll kind of wrap us up, but just, I'm interested in this idea of the pendulum, uh, right. Uh, where it swings all the way to an I sort of, you know, mentality and then, Maybe swings over to to the we and there's sets of problems and 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 uh, you know positive uh, components to to each way that it swings. Um, but what is 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 there a need uh, for a balance, or is that kind of what this this these four dimensions are addressing? Is there a need for a balance? Is there a way to uh, you know is are should we be thinking about let's say as leaders or as individuals, even in our own family? Should we be thinking about how to find a balance between that pendulum or is it more of an adjusting to the swing? Um, that's kind of my question, if that makes sense. Yeah. So to me, it's not, um, it's a, it's a really good question, Chris. It's a really important question. I think in society it, it swings, um, but organizationally, if you're building an organization, you could build an organization where it's not swinging. It's well, well, let me put it this way. 
a swing just goes back and forth. There's no progress necessarily in a swing all by itself. It's here and then come back. What you want is this. You want a progression, okay? And um, and I don't think in terms of a balance so much as I think about in terms of attention. Think of the four dimensions. Think of the individual natures of individuals and organization. But but we're working as part of a collective. There's already a tension built into that system, and staying in the middle of the tension, okay? And paying attention to the individual side and the collective side. I mean, you, you can come in as a leader and it's all about the company and it's this and it's that and it's that. And, and you can look at individuals as just, as just cogs on the wheel and they owe you this and they're just, they're just, um, they're just for hire and you can hire them and let them go when you want because of the swings of the year. I mean, you can do that. It's very common. Or you can be only about, no, it's only about the individual side. I'm going to pay attention to all the folks. And, and, and meanwhile, the, the finances of the place are going down the toilet and there's not going to be any company at all in which people can learn and grow. So, so if, if you, if you pay attention to the four dimensions, the four quadrants, you're paying attention. The pendulum is already there, but it's, it's a, you're, you're working it constantly, but you're working it in an area where you're growing it out. It's not just the back and forth. It's an expansion. It's a, it's a working it's having the eyes help the we get better, the collective and the, and the better collective pulls more out of the eyes and, and you keep going and going and you get to a point where we started out as a company and now we're actually going to join with another company and now it becomes a, even a bigger collective because, I mean, we just keep expanding, right? The, the we becomes bigger, it calls more out of the eyes and, and so you want to stay in the middle of that tension and you don't want to you don't want to deny either side. In fact, it's interesting. The same issue exists in, in the physical sciences. I mean, you have, you have this weird, um, it's not weird at all anymore, but it was weird when it was first discovered. There was a question about what is light? Is light a wave or is light a particle? And the answer is it's both. It depends on how you're interacting with light. I mean, it's, it has a collective aspect. That's the wave. It has an individual aspect. That's the particle. It's both. So to say it's only individual or only, only collective is a mistake. And that's true of us too. So I think societally, societally, society tends to crash one direction and get disillusioned by some of the problems that come from something going way too individualistic. And so now it comes back more collective and that's good until that gets really problematic as well. And then it corrects again. And that's fair enough. And over time, there's a progression there. But as a leader in a company, you don't have to wait for 20 or 40 year swings you can you can live in the middle of that tension if you're just paying attention to the four quadrants that has the individual and the collective already built into it. You're paying attention to both of them all the time, and you're helping both sides. You're feeding both sides. You're expanding both sides. You're building both sides. Yeah, no, that's a great um, that's a great answer. Uh, you know, response to to the question is is finding you know space in in the tension. Uh, I think that there's a lot to to learn from. From that, uh, especially you know, for any leaders that are that are listening, um, and that's a you know a question that I'll ask leaders that are listening right now. And if you're not a leader, it doesn't matter. Wherever you find yourself in in life is, you know, are we able to find the tension and even be comfortable um, with the tension? Um, is a question that I raise. But just in being mindful of time, you know, I want to I want to wrap up. Um, you know, we typically like to ask. Uh, we've been talking about a really big ideas, you know, so far, and it's been it's been uh, very um, uh, enjoyable for me, intellectually enjoyable for me, but I always like to bring things kind of back, you know, um, to kind of the personal level. And so we like to ask a question of, 
you know, something really basic and generic, somebody that's uh, had influence on you and, and why. Um, but I, I want to close, you know, my part with, with a quick story. And it's fun because you're here. I share this story all the time. It's actually about you. Uh, but I, I share this often uh, in, in the community when I'm with folks. Um, but uh, there was a call that we had uh, one time, you and I, it was with um, I, you know, a large client and they wanted you to work with them and I was their account manager. And uh, I went up to your office for the call and I facilitated the call and then I let you do your thing, you know, discovering their needs, et cetera. And then I went back down into my office and you may or may not remember this day, uh, but I do. And uh, about two hours later, you walked past my office door and you said, hey, and then you, you know, kept walking. You're probably going to the break room or something. And then you came back and you walked by and you said, hey, Chris, again. But then you kind of slowly appeared in my doorway again. You looked around and you said, Chris, do you have a minute? I said, sure. And uh, you came in and then you closed the door behind you. So immediately I'm thinking, oh, this, this is either really good or <laughs> this is either really good or really bad. And then you say, can I have a sit? Can I have a seat right here, Chris? You sat in one of my, one of the chairs in front of my desk and you're kind of staring at the ground and you said, Chris, how'd you think the call went today? And I, you know, I knew which call you were talking about. I said, I thought it went pretty good, Jim. Thanks for your help again. And he said, yeah, I thought it, I thought it went all right. And then you said this, you said, Chris, you said this, this, and this. Don't say those things again. And then you got up and I said, okay. And you got up and you left. And when, usually when I share the story, I, you know, I ask people, what do you think about my boss right now? <laughs> right. Oh no. <laughs> and people have all sorts of negative things to say. Right. Uh, because nobody likes to be kind of spoken to that day. But then I tell them, I said, well, you know what I did after that? I pulled out a notepad and I made notes with, with the things he said in detail, because let me tell you about how my relationship was with him. And I've already shared it so far in this, some of those components in this podcast, right? The very first, from the very first time I met you on the, well, spoke to you on the phone to the first time I met you in person. And then every interaction after that, right? You would, you knew my wife's name, my kids' names. You'd ask how my family was doing. And it was like, doesn't matter if we spoke a week or three weeks later, you would pick up that conversation where it would, where it left off. And I could always feel like, I always felt like you cared. And, you know, you'd be working on things, uh, you know, your brain would be going up and up and you'd, you'd bring around uh, copies of what you've been writing to the whole office. You bring it to me and say, Chris, you know, read this and mark it up and come and give me your feedback. And the first time you did that, I thought, again, why does he want my ideas or feedback? But I sure enough, I'd show up in your office and say, here's my thoughts. And you'd sit down and take the time with me. And so, you know, knowing that you were, uh, uh, this is how I, what I was in, how I was in the story is knowing that he's the sort of leader that on my first day he asks, how can I help you get to where you want to be? Of course, if I'm saying things <laughs> in a in a in a meeting, um, you're going to give me feedback that will help me, right? And one of those things um, that you told me was to not say just. So when I introduced myself, I said, "I'm Chris. I'm just a, a client solutions manager here." He said, "Chris, don't ever say just." <laughs> and and so little things like that, you know, I'll I'll never forget. Um, and I, th I find it relevant to what we've been talking about today, right? Just from an individual level, but the balance between this, this attitude and the behaviors, which I felt, you know, um, um, from you towards me, but, uh, I found it fitting to share that story, but I ask you the same, same question, you know, what's one, who's one person in your life that that's had an influence on you, small or large and, and why? Mm, wow. There's a lot of people I could talk about, but I, I I, the person that comes to mind right now is my wife. I mean, she, um, let me tell you about something about her. It's, it's, I've learned so much. Actually, I've actually learned so much from her about our work here at Withy because 
you know, you come into you're married and you're two individuals, right? So here's, here's the husband, here's the wife. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're two individuals, but if you're really going to, and you can be married that way as two individuals, a lot of people are, uh, they're just two individuals that happen to be married. Um, but with, with her, there's something about her that it's so clearly not just here's me and there's you and we happen to be married. There's actually a we that's going on here. That's mm -hmm. bigger and different than just the two of us alone. And it's real. And, and, um, and as individuals, we exist within it, but what we have, what we have isn't just inside of me. It's not just inside of her. It's between us. It's around us. It's over us. It's like this. I mean, sometimes she and I, we joke, you know, Brangelina, they might've been onto something, uh, you know, to have this combined, there's this one thing um, that's a bigger thing. Um, and even, even the quadrants we've been talking about apply in a marriage relationship too. What are the structures and processes and systems in that relationship, in the collective? What, what's the culture of that collective? It's not only about the individuals that are in it. It's the individuals, but the individuals will grow because they're not just individuals anymore. They're individuals that are part of a larger whole. That's what makes the growth happen. The growth happens in that space. And I'm learning on a daily basis. I'm learning more and more about that from her. Um, just because I'm able to be in that, that kind of collective with her. It's really amazing. Um, and I feel what it does to me, um, how it calls more out of me as an individual, because there is that bigger thing mm -hmm. that we're both mutually a part of. So anyway, um, there are a lot of people I could talk about, but I mean, she's, she's a massive in influence on me. Mm, that's awesome. Um, well, uh, Jim, uh, I'll turn the time here to Salam to share any last thoughts, but just want to, want to say thanks. Thank, uh, you know, thank you for, for joining us on the show. Obviously, personally, thank you for, um, the influence you've had on, on, on me, uh, you know, professionally and, and, and personally, I appreciate our friendship and, and the mentor that you are. I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for your mind. You know, I know that you're, you're humble and you wouldn't ever say this, but the things that you you've thought of and that you do have impacted a lot of lives. Um, and I see it, uh, you know, here working in our community and, and even your time at Arbinger and the work that you put in there, you know, your heart and, and soul there, the work there has impacted thousands of people that, that, that we've been able to, to witness. Um, and so just an incredible amount of gratitude I have, um, for you as a person and, and the mind that you have and what you bring to the, to the table, I, I feel like you are you are living out what uh, what you mentioned of overcoming, helping people overcome divides and bring people together. And we've seen it here uh, in Salem as a result of some of the work that you've had a big part in. So wow, uh, wow. well, thank you. That's wow. Um, well, I don't know what to do with that, but thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll say ditto to everything that Chris said because um, I am new to this work in in many ways. Not the not the work of leadership, but the work that you've been involved in. And I'm really delighted that you have a new venture that's going to continue to spread uh, these this great guidance for effective leadership and how leadership plays an important role in organizational development. But what I've taken away from the Arpinger and and the discussion that we had today is. Um, is is the sort of the intertwine of the personal and the professional because we forget sometimes that this stuff is also good for us as people. So I, I really appreciate that uh, immensely and and I appreciate you. I guess I just would would love to mention a, a final thought and have you maybe touch on it as 
as a, as an integral part of leadership for our listeners. And when you were talking about this idea between the I and the we, and ultimately we want to be working as one, recognizing the I, but that the we is much greater than I, if you will. You said something about um, reaching higher level of view or taking a higher level of view. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ron Heifetz and his work on leadership. His seminal book is Leadership on the Line. He's a Harvard professor. I know he's from the uh, uh, the rival institution. It, it's not Yale. <laughs> yeah. the, other, the other school, yeah. The other school. But uh, uh, he talks a lot about leadership. And one of the concepts that stuck with me from his book and, and the various interactions I had with him is... Um, that leaders have to get on the balcony. That's what he called it. Because yeah. if you're in the dance, if you're in the middle of the quadrant, you may not be able to know what's happening in the other three because you're focused on the yeah. one. But if you get up to the balcony, you can actually see what's happening on the dance floor. And that's his analogy, his language. Yeah. So perhaps you could just share with us the importance of that as a uh, principle of leadership even when we have wonderful tools like the one you just discussed with us, that part is really, really important. And it's just, it is. yeah. Yeah. I, and I would say it with the, you know, in our, the withy perspective on that, I think Salam would be to say that, yes, that's getting that kind of bird's eye view, if you will, from the balconies, you're calling it. There's also a risk though, that leaders can start living on the balcony. Uh-huh. Um, they actually need, they have to realize that they're also on the dance floor yes. and, um, and how they're dancing has a huge effect on how other people dance. Um, and, and if, if they don't dance at all, uh, other people will stop dancing too. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. and, and two, as a leader, I'd want to bring as many other people up to the balcony as I could as well. Yeah. I'd want them to be with me, if you will. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. that sort of would be a withy point of view. So, so it's leaders have a responsibility for the collective but they can't forget they're also individuals mm-hmm. on the, in the dance. Um, if they only start living in the collective hemisphere and forget the individual hemisphere, you know, um, it's going to be a schizophrenic journey yeah. for that. Yeah. So that's part of it is, uh, yeah, get the view, get as many other people to be able to get that view as possible as well. Don't, don't own the view. Don't hoard the view and then get down and dance like mad. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I really appreciate that perspective actually. It it uh it expanded my thinking on the idea. And I think it aligns very beautifully with our rooted leadership framework and the cultivation part because the cultivation involves working with people, working through people and constantly being aware and mindful of what's happening in your organization and your impact on others. And sometimes the impact, even when you have the best of intentions, could be negative. So I, I really yeah. appreciate that. Thank you. I, I want to see Salam dance now. So I'm a good dancer. <laughs> yes. That, that should be the next one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, in the interest of time, again, I'm grateful for you, uh, Jim and, and Salam. Thanks for always being a, a great and willing co-host here. And Thank thanks you, to please. all of our, our listeners uh, for tuning in. Uh, And with that, uh, take care, be safe. Until next time, um, have a good one.